So we are coming to the close of this series, The Armor of God. Today we are putting on the last couple pieces of armor that Paul tells us to put on in Ephesians 6. The basis for the armor is what Paul says in Ephesians 6.10. He said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he tells us that in verse 11 that we need to put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And he's telling us that every day we all experience it, uh, temptation, we all experience the uh, battle that we face, the difficulties of life. And he tells us every day we need to put on the, the full armor of God to be able to um, you know, withstand, to stand firm, to stand firm in our faith, to stand firm in our trust of the Lord. And so it's so important that we do this. And um, he says in verse 16, he says, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so the one of the next uh, last two pieces of armor that he tells us to put on is the shield of faith. And the shield is th that he's describing here is a shield that's about two feet by four feet. And it was used uh, for those that were marching in battle. And those who were in the front lines on the battlefield had these two feet by four feet shields that they would uh, be able to lock together, which just demonstrates a picture of how we are all in this battle uh, together. And we need to all put up our shields. If we are putting up our shield and the person next to us isn't putting up their shield, we are all vulnerable. And so we, we need to all put up our shields of faith. Um, faith here is, he's talking about a living faith. He's not talking about a saving faith. He's talking about, you know, trusting God, believing in God uh, for every day, for today, um, living this faith out, um, being able to stand firm, stand strong in our faith uh, because of the ta attacks of the evil one. Um, there was a missionary who uh, went to go and translate the Bible uh, for a tribe in the South China Seas, and they didn't have a word for trust. They didn't have a word for faith as he's trying to translate the Bible uh, into, their, into their language. And one day, a man walked into his house, and, and he sat down, and he said, made this statement. He said, it's good, uh, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And that missionary who was translating the Bible uh, in their language said, that's it. That's the definition of faith. That's the definition of trust. He says, faith is resting your whole weight on God. Faith is resting your whole weight on God. So we've been talking about different schemes over the last few weeks, and I would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to uh, previous messages and as we've been really breaking down some different schemes. And so today's scheme is uh, the scheme of doubt and distrusting of God, that, we, that the enemy wants us to doubt and distrust God. God. Now, this doesn't make you an unbeliever. This doesn't make you somebody that um, has no faith. Just oftentimes what he wants us to do is he wants to have just little faith. And I'll give you a couple examples of that. One example is in, is in Matthew 14, and, and uh, the disciples uh, went out on, out on the boat, and they were crossing the sea, and, and uh, next thing they know, they, they see 
uh, s- someone walking on the water, and they think it's a ghost at first, and and it's obviously they uh, they discover that it's Jesus, and um, and while Jesus is walking on the water, Peter yells out to Jesus, "Jesus, come and ask me to come out on the water." And Jesus said, "Yeah, you can you can come on out, come on out." And so Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water, and you know just to think about that amount of faith that Peter had just to be able to walk out on the water. And, and so um, after a while, the wind started picking up and the waves started getting bigger. And Peter starts looking at those waves. He starts looking at the wind. And when he starts taking his eyes off of Jesus uh, as he's walking on the water, uh, this, the story tells us that he begins to sink. Uh, he begins to, you know, drop down into the water. And, and so it says in Matthew 14, 31, it says, Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, it wasn't that Peter was an unbeliever. It wasn't that Peter had any faith. It was just that Peter had a little faith. But he had a little faith, enough faith to at least get out of the boat and to trust that he could walk where no one is able to walk. And, and that's, what we, that's what we need to do, is we need to trust God, that God is going to lead us to maybe places that we never thought we could go, or places that we thought we could never walk. And so Peter is out on the water, he takes his eye off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And Jesus, in, in a calm manner, uh, probably not in a way that was, you know, um, you know hurtful or you know, mean, or, you know, he, he just said, you know, Peter, you know, you have just little faith, and that can be translated, you little faith are you, and he says, why did you doubt, and so it's not about lack of faith, or it's not about no faith, it's just about the lack of faith that the enemy wants us to have, he wants us to have doubt, and he wants us to not to trust God. Another example is Thomas, we know Thomas as doubting Thomas, and and Thomas was uh, kept missing the appearance of Jesus after Jesus resurrected. And um, the disciples kept telling Thomas, oh, we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. And Thomas said, I don't believe you, I don't believe you, I don't believe you. Not unless I'm able to touch the holes of his hands and touch the hole in his side uh, will I believe. And so at that moment, Jesus appeared uh, before Thomas and Jesus held out his hands. He said, you know, he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger. This is in John 20, 27. Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but be believing. See, I think that there's a few things that the enemy wants us to doubt when it comes to uh, God. There's some things that he doesn't, uh, he wants us to distrust God with. The first thing is that God, he wants us to doubt God's provisions. He wants us to doubt God's provisions. Um, there are times in our life where we experience unfortunate and unexpected expenses. There's times in our life where we are in these dead-end jobs and, and uh, we don't, can't seem to go anywhere or, and, and the cost of living keeps rising. There's times in our life maybe you've been laid off. And, and in those times, those legitimate times, we worry and subtly we doubt God's faithfulness. We doubt God's trustworthiness, and we, we doubt God's provisions. And, and 
Jesus commonly spoke on this that when it comes to his provisions. He commonly told us that these, these are the things that, you know, that we shouldn't worry about, that we should trust God with, but the enemy wants us to doubt uh, God's provisions. Another area that the enemy wants us to doubt is, is he wants us to doubt God's plans. Um, you, you, you've, we've all been in times where we've been crunched for time, you know, and we've got to get to places and we've got places to go and people to see. And, you know, we've, we try to maybe run into a store and grab a few things at a grocery store maybe. And, and we get into, you know, we're trying to decide which checkout line to get into. And, and we, it doesn't always seem to be that we get the, into the wrong line. You know, we get, in, you know, behind somebody who has a cart that's overflowing with stuff and we're patiently waiting as long as we can, but, you know, we're, we're on a ticking time clock and, and then that person maybe pulls out a bunch of envelopes of coupons and, and then you're, you know, now you're internally complaining about, you know, the amount of groceries or stuff that that, that person has in their cart or the amount of coupons they have in their envelope. And then now we're impatient and, and now we're complaining about, you know, where we have to go and where we have to be. And I wonder if sometimes God puts us there, that if, when we need to know that, that he wants us to doubt God's plans, that he, in the times where we think that uh, we're, our, our time or our schedule is being interrupted, we, all we are doing is questioning his uh, providence. All we're doing is questioning uh, that he may have wanted us there at that time for a specific reason. And um, we don't necessarily know what that is. We don't know why he allowed that to happen, um, but it did. And we need to trust that, that he has a plan for our life. And, uh, another area that he wants us to doubt is that he wants us to doubt God's presence. That he, we sometimes don't realize or we sometimes, I think, forget that we are not alone. That we may not be with, you know, maybe our spouse or we may not be with our kids at some point or, you know, maybe a, a friendship or relationship. But, but at all times, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you um, are never alone, that his presence is, is always with us. He is, uh, his presence is with us in our homes, when we're in our cars and, you know, in our workplaces and our businesses. Maybe you go on a business trip or Maybe you're home alone or maybe you're in a car and somebody cut you off and, you know, and uh, there's some time, there's these times where we think that what comes out of our mouth or what we look at or, or the way that we act or behave, um, our decisions that we make, that we think that we're not hurting anybody. But the reality is, is that the enemy wants us to doubt his presence. The enemy wants us to not even think that God is even, is, is there. And we oftentimes, uh, when it comes to our faith, we oftentimes deny his existence when it's convenient for, for us. And so these are some of the things that the enemy wants us to doubt. He wants us to doubt his provisions. He wants us to doubt God's plans for our lives. And he wants us to doubt God's presence in our life. And this is uh, played out and demonstrated in Ephesians six sixteen. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, so we need to live out this faith and not live out the doubt, the doubt of his provisions, the doubt of his plans, the doubt of his presence, the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the, look what he says, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And what does he mean by that? Here's, here's what he knows. The, the enemies would, would light their 
arrow on fire, and they would fire it at the front lines, and they would put up the shields, and the shields were, were, were made of wood and leather, and when the shields were up, it would extinguish the flaming arrows. But the enemy knew that if the arrow got through, the flaming arrow got through, it would set ablaze chaos. It would create all of this distraction, just like fires will do. I mean, you, you, we think about the, the, the fires in California, right? I mean, this is immediately where my mind goes. And I think about how these things get started. And, and you read about, you know, the, how they, they get started with small things, right? Like somebody was out camping, and they didn't put out their fire properly. They just left it. And then just from a small campfire that somebody was sitting around and enjoying, it set ablaze a whole forest and wiped out communities. You see how this works? If he can get you to doubt God's provisions, God's plans, God's presence, it's like a, it's like a fire that starts. If, you, if, you're not, if your shield of faith isn't up, He's now gotten into your thought life and into your heart. And it's going to set your life ablaze. Not in a good way. In a way of, of turmoil and hurt and pain. The, I was reading about, when I was thinking about this, I was reading the, 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 the Chicago fires back in, the, back in 1871. Where most of uh, Chicago was, was burned to the ground. And it started in this barn, the, the O'Leary barn. Have any heard of this story before? Have you heard of this story? They started in, the, in this barn. Well, so, as soon as it started, it, it was confirmed that it happened in this barn. But as soon as it started, the, the, the fire you know, began, the rumor got around that it was because Catherine O'Leary was in the barn milking a cow, and the cow kicked over the lantern, and that's how the fire started. That's how the fire started. And so report, a reporter you know, came in and investigators came in and they started writing about how the fire got started in the O'Leary barn. They said a cow kicked over a lantern. That's how it got started. Anybody have heard this story before? Raise your hand. And, and, and how the fire got started. Okay. That wasn't what happened? That wasn't what happened. They don't really necessarily know what happened. They think that it was an ember from a nearby chimney that flew into the barn where it was really dry at that time. And that's how the fire got started. But a reporter came, and, 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 and this is his quote. His, mate, his name was Michael Ahern. You can, you can Google this. A reporter came and made up the story of the cow kicking over the lantern in order for, in his words, to hype the story. As if Chicago being burned down wasn't enough. That was what he said. He, 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 and even you know, before he died, he said, we made it up. We made it up. Catherine O'Leary and her husband Patrick had to move away from their home. They had to move away from their home, and they lived, you know, secluded the rest of their lives because of how heartbroken they were that they got blamed for the Chicago fires. 
and it was never their fault. But reporters said that it was. And as a matter of fact, over the years, songs have been written about how the O'Leary cow burned you know, the Chicago down. And even a movie was nominated back in the early 1900s, was nominated for an Academy Award that depicted the O'Leary barn from a cow kicking over a lantern that said, this is, and, and many of us in our brains have think that, but you know what the reality is? That never happened. The fire started from their barn, but it wasn't because of their cow that kicked over a lantern. This is what the enemy will do. The enemy will, from a small deception, from a small lie, will increase a, a tr a, something that isn't even true. And this is what he'll do when it comes to shooting flaming arrows of doubt into your life. It may start out as a small doubt but it will unless it's extinguished by the shield of faith it will do a lot of damage a lot of damage flaming arrows of doubt are only extinguished by faith flaming arrows of doubt are only extinguished by faith Charles Spurgeon said this he says this, doubt discovers difficulties which it never solves. It creates despondency and despair. Its progress is the decay of comfort, the death of peace. He says, believe is the word which speaks life into a man. So we're like the guy who said to Jesus, and here's what this man, this father said to Jesus. Look at, look at this, this man says. So this is where we need to be right now. He says, Mark 9, 24. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You feel like this man sometimes? I do believe, but I know that I have moments of doubting God's provisions. I know that I have times where I doubt God's plans. And I know for certain in my life that I doubt God's presence. So I, but I do believe who Jesus is, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Well, here's what, here's help, okay? Here's help. And this is the last part of the armor that we're going to lead into because I think they're connected together in a beautiful way. Here's how we get help with our unbelief. Verse 17, or excuse me, Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes by, or comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So how do we go from, I believe, but help my unbelief? How do we get help there? We, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so that leads us into this armor this part of the, the armor, it says this in Ephesians 6, verse 17. It says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is, is what's going to help us through this. Now, here's what it says about the word of God. Proverbs 35 says this, for every word of God is tested 
he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So we have this correlation between the word of God and the shield. And he says, and the word of God is tested. It says this in, in Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. How do you get faith? You get faith by receiving, hearing the word of God. But here's what you need to know. The word, the word, you like how I did this here? The sword or the word has been written, tested, and tried to be applied. This is why we have the word of God. The word of God is not just meant to be heard. The word of God was meant to be heard and applied. That it's been tested and it's been tried, which means it works when applied. It works when applied. So, when it comes to doubt, when it comes to doubt of God's provision, here's what the word says. Here's what it says. It says in verse, um, or Philippians 4.19. And my God, so when, it, when we talk about God's provision, it says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is, this is the word of God confirming for you when it comes to you doubting God's provision. Provision It says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. That he has everything that you need and he's got that in supply for you. So when you're going, I don't know if God can really provide for me. I don't know if he, I'm going to make it this month. I don't know if this is going to work out. Here's what you draw from. You draw from, I doubt, I need more faith. How do I get more faith? I get more faith by the word of God. Now, when he talks about the sword, it's, it's addressed as, a, as a, like a dagger. A dagger that they would use. It was somewhere between 6 inches and 18 inches long. It varied in length. And it was described like a dagger. And it was used for precision. Precision. So it wasn't like this generalized thing that the, that the sword was used for. So, it's, so the, the, the imagery is this. It's not a general knowledge of scripture. It's, it's a knowledge of scripture that is used for specific circumstances. So this is what the sword of the spirit is meant to be used for. It's meant to be used for specific circumstances. In other words, when you're questioning God's provision, there's a specific verse for you. Here's another one. Here's another one. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus is talking. That they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So when you're questioning God, when you're doubting God's provisions, you're thinking, well, he said, look at the birds and how he provides for the birds. And the birds don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather, which means they don't save. Like, but yet he takes care of them, and I know that I'm much more valuable than the birds. Verse 32, he says this. He says, for the Gentiles, or, or that word Gentiles could mean unbelievers or non-believers, people that don't believe in Jesus. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all 
these things. This is a specific approach with an offensive weapon that you have in your hand to go after the enemy. It is now time we've been talking about being on the defensive while he's attacking. But right now, it's time to pick up your sword and go after him. Say, I'm not going to let you use your schemes to get me to doubt who God is, distrust who God is and what God wants to do. I'm now picking up my sword and I'm coming after you now. You can tell me that God doesn't provide for me, but I can just look at the birds in the air and see that he takes care of them and he's going to certainly take care of me. This is you going after it. Now, maybe you doubt God's plan for your life. Well, there's, there's some verses for this. Now, because of time, and I'm running out of it, I can only give you a couple. God's plan. So he's, you're questioning, wait, I, was I supposed to be in that traffic jam? Probably. Was I supposed to pick this line? Yes. Even though I didn't want to, even though it wasn't my plan, even though I had places to go and people to see this is what I was, but let, let me tell you something. If you're believing in and have faith in God's plan, here's what you need to know. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, this is so important, which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. That God has providentially orchestrated your life because you're his workmanship he created you for a reason he's got a plan for your life whether you like how that goes or not there's a reason why he wants you to go for it because he's already planned it out beforehand for you to walk in them i don't know if you've heard this verse before but proverbs 3 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all of your ways, in how, which ways? All of your ways, acknowledge him and what will he do? He will make your paths straight. Or, or, or you can do this. Here's the alternative. You can trust in doubt with all of your heart, lean into your own understanding, and in all of your ways acknowledge doubt, and doubt will make your past crooked. That's another, that's another way. But I would rather trust in the Lord, because I know that his plans for me. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're, you question God's presence. We're just getting specific. We're pulling out our dagger and going after the enemy right now. And maybe you're questioning God's presence. And here's what it says about God's presence. Here's what it says about us in God's presence. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the spirit of God dwells in you? When you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit of God, the life of Jesus comes and dwells inside of you. That means wherever you go, he's going. Wherever you're at, he's at. Whatever you're doing, he's doing it with you. Whatever you're watching, he's watching it with you. Whatever you're saying, he's hearing you say it. 
And you need to know that in those moments when you're on that business trip or when you're alone by yourself, you need to be able to pull out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and say, I am the temple of God. And the power and the Spirit of God dwells in me. And I don't want to break his heart and have him participate with me what I'm participating in that will only crush him and it's really going to sink me because I've taken my eyes off of him and right now I'm buried in doubt. And the truth of the matter is when it comes to the presence of God too is this. Here's what it says in 1 John 4, 12. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, you know how people see the presence of God? They see the presence of God when we love one another. People see God when we act the way that we're supposed to act, and that is to unconditionally, sacrificially love people. And when they see us loving each other, you know what people will see? They'll see God then. And the presence of God will be real to them as much as it should be real and true for you, we can go on and on and on. I mean, I mean, we could talk about your marriage. You know, there's stuff in scripture about your marriage, you know, specific stuff that the enemy's going, I want to create a wedge between you and your spouse. That's what I want to do. I want you to get doubt. I want you to doubt them. They're going to doubt you, and he's going to build a wedge, and you're going to go, no, no, enemy. I've got my sword out now. I've got my helmet on. I've got my shield up. I got the belt on, I got my shoes on, I'm girded in truth, I'm fully armored enemy, and I'm now coming after you with my sword, and I'm going to tell you that my role as a husband is to love my wife as Jesus loved the church, and you're going at, is this graphic enough, I hope, for you, I wish I had a real sword with me right now, but man, it is saying, no enemy, I'm now knifing you out of my life, because the word of God is empowered by the spirit of God and that's when the enemy goes I've had enough with you I'm out of here for mo for the moment and you'll come back and you'll just bring out your sword again you see remember this Remember this? You try to get me to doubt God's provisions. You try to get me to doubt God's plans. You try to get me to doubt God's presence. You remember this? I'm going to come after you again. You can come after me. Man, I know what I'm supposed to do as a father or as a wife or a husband or whatever. You know, as a, as a, I know what I'm supposed to do as a, as a follower of Jesus. Why? Because the word of God gives us specific things to be applied in our life. No Roman soldier just had a sword and thought, that's good enough. They had to use it. 
They had to use it for it to work the way it's supposed to work. The sword or the word of the spirit implied will help us identify where Satan lied. It will help you identify that in your life. So, finally, we come to the end. And he says, Ephesians, he says, finally, here's what our charge is. Hey, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Not just some, not just this piece or that piece. No, no, no. Every single day, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I want you, God wants you. What would it look like if we stood firm in our faith? What would it look like if we pulled out that sword and said, enemy, I'm not coming after you with it. We could do some major damage for the kingdom of God. Lives would be changed and not so many people would sink because they took their eyes off of Jesus. Let's pray. He's got a lot of schemes, Lord. You experienced them personally. He tried to tempt you to doubt the provisions of our Heavenly Father. He tried to get you, Jesus, to believe that our Heavenly Father wouldn't protect us, doesn't have a plan for our lives. And, and Lord, I'm just so grateful that you have experienced what we all experience on a daily basis. Yet sometimes it's so subtle we don't even realize that we're demonstrating unbelief. So Lord, we cry out just like that father cried out to you, help us with our unbelief. And we run to your word as a sword to use against the enemy and to use it to combat the lies that he shoots, fires, arrows of lies and doubt at us. We use it to realize and to know the truth of your word and the power of what it can do when applied in our lives. We thank you for it. I pray, Lord, that we use it. We use it every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.